Hey, this message is PG-13 in nature as we look at sex and our relationship and God's design for it in our lives. What we see is that when we live in a healthy relationship, touching happens. The reality of it is, physical intimacy isn't always about sex. We can agree that God is good, that God created sex. So when we connect the dots, we find that through God, sex is good. Take a listen as Pastor Rick focuses on God's design for sex in our marriage. Well, good morning. And uh, we are in the last series in our marriage series called Behind Closed Doors. Uh, We've been talking about things that, uh, well, most of us just want to keep hidden in our lives. Things that sometimes are hard to address. We've talked uh, about we don't touch anymore. We've talked about the chaos of life. We've talked about how we want our lives to look better than they really are. Today, we wrap it up and, and we're in a message called Behind Closed Doors, We Don't Touch anymore. And what happens to intimacy as time passes in a marriage? And, and how can we keep the fire alive? And, and maybe the biggest pressure, question of all is, why does church care? Why are we talking about something like this at church? And that's a great question. Um, Professor Terry Fisher from Ohio State University uh, did a, a research project that was pretty interesting to answer the question, how often people think about sex? There's a lot of myth around that, right? And, and so what they did is they took three areas, sex, food, and sleep, and they gave people these clickers. And every time they thought about sex, they clicked the button, right? Every time they thought about food, clicked the button. Every time they thought about sleep, they clicked the button. They started measuring 2,000 people. And what they found out was pretty interesting. As a matter of fact, if you're a man, uh, the range that men thought about sex during a day from one time to 385 different times... And all the men are going to go, I'm the 385. Just hang on till we get to the end of the study. Uh, For women, for women, uh, the range was, give me a second, let me get get the right numbers to you, was uh, between 1 and 140 times a day. Now, those, those are pretty big numbers. So what they did when you analyze this and you pick something called the median. Now, the median is that point in all of those numbers that exactly the same number is below that number and exactly the same number is above it. The midpoint, the median. That when you do that for men, you find that men only thought about sex 18 times a day. And women, women thought about sex 15 times a day. Uh, It's crazy was, uh, I'm sorry, women thought about sex 10 times a day. For men, they thought about food just as much as they thought about sex. (laughs) And that's pretty good. Wait till you get this one. Women thought more about food than they did about sex. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not touching it. (laughs) And the reason we're talking about this today is because for something we think about as much as we think about sex, we need to see what God's Word has to say about it. What does the Bible say about this topic uh, in a sexually saturated world? And I'm going to read to you from Proverbs chapter 5. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 19. Today, I'm stepping away from the New American Standard that I normally read from. And I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. uh, Just because I like the simplicity of this translation. The scripture says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the street having sex with just anyone? 
You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving, dear, graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. And I want you to look at me. We're going to talk about some difficult stuff today. I'm just giving you the heads up. That's going to touch just about everybody. Try to pull the veil back just a little bit on who we really are. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for the time we have together. God, I just pray that you would grace fill this place. And Father, that this message could be received with grace and applied in grace, Father, and then lived out with grace. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to start by talking about the reality that when we don't touch, that's a symptom of something else going on in life. This is always the last sermon in our marriage series because everything else tells us why we don't touch. Right? I need you to understand that not touching is just a symptom. It is not the problem. So you're not probably going to have to leave here today and go out and have a, a, a conversation about sex. Hey, we're never having sex. We're going to talk about it. What you need to be talking about is why you're not having sex. And that would be we don't communicate, right? The chaos of life has become so big that we're just not together anymore that there are reasons why we don't touch. But when we are in a healthy relationship, touching is normal. Touching is normal. And um, we need it to come to terms uh, with what has happened in our relationships that at least one of us have gotten to the place where we don't want to touch anymore. Look at me. I told you. Right? This is big people talk. What happened? That at least one of us got to the place where it just didn't matter anymore. And then the next thing we've got to come to terms with is this. Physical intimacy is not always about sex. Right? Life is filled with a lot of different seasons. Look right up here at me. Make sure you get this. It's filled with a lot of seasons. There's going to be seasons of prosperity, and there's going to be seasons of loss. There's going to be seasons of health, and there's going to be seasons of disease, right? And there are going to be seasons of the honeymoon. And then there are going to be seasons, look at me, where you just can't have sex at all. That's life. And what we've done is we've reduced physical intimacy to only sex. And I need you to hear me today is that physical intimacy is much more than just sex. My dad spent the last year and a half of his life in a nursing home. He was never going home. He could could not hardly function, but he craved the touch of my mama. He would lay in that nursing home bed and look at her and say, just hold my hand. We need physical intimacy. We're going to talk about a tough subject. I call it the hall of shame. And that's the story we bring to our marriages and how to handle it. So I want to start with two questions. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back to these because I want to make sure you understand this in the light of your understanding of God. Is God God? Yeah, we're going to try that again because it's going to have to be better than that. Is God God? Yes. Is God good? Yes. Under that umbrella, everything else we're going to talk about falls. And you're going to need to remind yourself that God is indeed God and that he is indeed good. So all of us have a story. And because our stories are flawed, the Bible offers us good news. The great majority of us do not begin following Jesus 
until we're later in life. So we bring stuff with us, right? Baggage, if you want to call that, decisions we made before we met Christ. The reality is, if you met Christ when you were six and began following Him, it's highly likely that you made some decisions after you met Him that you're really not proud of. We all bring a flawed story to life, and that is why we need the good news. We're broken, often battered, and yet at the same time, we want to have a great sex life in our marriages. But these things keep showing up in our life, right? Because they bring with them whether you did it or someone did it to you. And I'm, I want to be really gentle with this. Whether you made a mistake or someone uh, perpetrated something on you, it brings the same thing to our lives. It brings shame. It brings guilt. And man, even though we're living with those things, it's like I really want a good physical relationship in my marriage. And here's what I need you to hear. Jesus said, whom the Son makes free is free indeed. And we've got to learn how to bring all of that under the umbrella of God's grace. We call that the hall of shame. And the good news is that Jesus offers us the forgiveness for whatever choices we may have made in life or whatever choices someone may have imposed upon us. So let's talk about some specifics because we're going to pull the curtain back a little bit. Guilt from past sexual relationships. Um, again, we all have a story. So the CDC tells us that between women, between the ages of 15 and 44, of that age group, listen to me and look at me, 88.8% of them engaged in premarital sex. You go, Wow. You go over to the men's category, same age bracket, and it goes up to 89.9%. There's one full percentage point between the difference in men and women. So, so here's what I'm telling you, because my brain starts working, that if nine out of ten people are having premarital sex, that one in ten ain't the only people coming to church. Are you with me? That as parents... Often we have lied to our children about our own lives and set an unrealistic standard for them, confusing them and making it hard for them to follow Jesus because we've never been honest about our lives. And so here's what we're doing right now. We're leveling the playing field. That if you entered your marriage pure as the driven snow, you were in the small majority of people in this world today. The rest of us fall under the need of grace in order to know the relationship God wants us to have. Are you with me? Okay. So my tech crew tells me, when you got to that point, it got really quiet in that auditorium. Are you with me? This is the struggle we have in church. We're freaking fake. We're just fake. Stop being fake. If we're ever going to grow, here, here it is, back to toxicity. The difference between health and toxicity, the refusal to change. Listen, you, you seal your fate if you don't want to deal with your reality. Deal with it. Let's give it to Jesus so we can move on in life. And here's what happens. I had a young man come to me in this sermon. I, I got to speed up. I had a young man come to me. He's in, in his teens. And he said, listen, that was amazing. He said, God told me to be in this service. And it was for a reason. And I said, here's what happens. If, you, if you're 18 and you don't get married till you're 25, you got seven years of sexual craziness that sacrifices the next 50 years of your marriage. 
Right? Those choices you make, they come with consequences. What a man sows, that man reaps. And, and, and understand what happens at that five-year mark in marriage, that seven-year mark in marriage, that ten-year mark, when those kids go away to school and you're by yourself and the zing just isn't there anymore. And that old mind, because that mind is powerful, starts remembering every relationship and everybody that ever touched your body. Right? I can't remember where I put my car keys. Right? But I can remember the first pornographic image I ever saw. With vivid clarity. And that's what the mind does to us. It remembers every relationship. It remembers every touch. Everything we've ever seen and everything we've ever done. And when marriage gets hard, it hits play. And starts to erode the foundation of our marriage. Is God God? Is God good? God ain't trying to mess your party up. He's not trying to mess your party up. Hear me. Right? You think you're having a party and Jesus wanting to give you a party. Okay, we're going to move on. Secondly is guilt uh, from flawed teaching about biblical sexuality. So there are two places we get all of our teaching most of the time, maybe three, but two main ones. We get it from the home and, and here's what the teaching from the home usually looks like. You'll find out when you get married. Right? Right? You'll find out when you get married. Or you went to church where some guy stood up and said something like this. It's wrong. It's horrible. All you young people, you should never do it, never do it, never do it, man. You'll go to hell. Right? And, and so, if you know anything about human beings, if you hammer a message into them during their formative years, you have burned it into the, the soul of their being, and then they get 25 and want to get married, and they're supposed to switch a flip, uh, flip a switch, and everything you've been telling them was horrible their whole life is now supposed to be good and acceptable. How do, you, how do you do that? You've already been brainwashed in one direction. How do you undo all that? And here's the reality a whole lot of people can't. And so we never have the joy that God wants us to have in our physical intimacy. We never have that experience that God created us to know with each other. God is God and God is good. And he is not against us, he is for us. So from this point forward, we're going to talk about God's plan for this and what it looks like. And i got 14 minutes to make it happen, so hang on, okay? Um, Truth number one, sex is God's idea. Truth number one, fundamental to a great sex life is understanding that God created sex. So we've talked about this in the past, that if you're going to grow spiritually, you have to hang on with everything in you to the idea that God is good. That does not mean that he's always good to you. Differentiate those. That God in his essence and in his being is good. That you may have moments in your life that are hard and you can't say, well, God's not good anymore. No, you have to believe God is still good even in your hard moments because that's the essence of his being. Right? There's a big difference in those two statements. And because he's good, we're going to derive some things. Because God is good, if God created sex, is sex good? The, the front three rows believe sex is good. <laughs> If God is good and God created sex, is sex good? Yes. And if it's God's idea, if sex is God's idea, is it okay for us to talk about it? (laughs) It's getting a little weaker, a little weaker. Well, hang on. Uh, If sex is God's idea, is it okay for us to enjoy it? If sex is God's idea, when we enjoy it, are we enjoying him? Ooh, weakest one of all. 
Yes. Yes. And because sex is God's ideal, we don't have to feel ashamed when we're enjoying it. Truth number two, God made us different on purpose. Is God God? Is God good? When he created them, male and female, he created them. That is what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly says in Genesis 1 that he created them male and female. And what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman emotionally, intellectually, physically. Those differences come from God himself. Men and women are different because God made them differently. Truth number three, it's going to build on each one of them. I'm going to ask you again, is God good? Is God God? Yes. Gender differences allow us to maximize the uniqueness of God's creation. So let's go all the way back to the beginning to get this picture. The scripture tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And at the end of the sixth day, God looked at it and said, it is good. Right? It's good. It was perfect, yet it was incomplete. Perfect, yet incomplete. And God begins to see this, that everything in creation has a counterpart, right? Adam's living in this perfect world. He has all the food he wants. He can lay on a beach and sunbathe every day, swim in crystal blue water. Just he has, it's, it's paradise, except for one thing. He's living in paradise and he is lonely. He is alone. God sees this and goes, I need Adam to see this. So that's this really unusual thing. He brings all of the created animal life before Adam. To name him, everybody's like, man, that must have been a hard job. I don't even think it was about the job. I think it's about what he wanted Adam to learn. And stuff starts coming up, and Adam's like, hey, wait a minute. There's a boy and a girl. Everything in life has a counterpart. Except me. I got all this cool stuff. And nobody to enjoy it with. God said, that's a good realization, Adam. Why don't you take a nap? (laughs) Right? Right? And so God uh, begins to do this work in Adam's life. He takes a rib and and he creates a woman. And and God called her in the Hebrew language, Ezer Negad. And Ezer uh, means helper. And Negad means that which is opposite, that which corresponds to. So so here it is. It's, It's the other part of you. It's the other half. The Bible says it this way. You're completer. You're completer. Now I need you to see this. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Because we live in a world that's going to tell you that this isn't true. A man needs a woman and a woman needs a man. Right? We complete each other when we are in healthy, good relationship with each other. So I wrote it this way. Adam found nothing in all of creation that would allow him to maximize all the capabilities of his being. So God had created Adam with this incredible ability to talk, but there was nobody to talk to. To hug, but there was nobody to hug. Right? This, this, to worship, but there was nobody to worship with. And God brought this woman different, like Adam, right? Get this, she looked kind of like Adam, but she was different physically, emotionally, Biologically, there was a lot of differences in her, but she looked like him, and it was somebody he could talk to and hug and somebody he could worship with, and it completed him. God designed something for Adam, different from him, but like him. And God called her woman and brought her to the man. And the scripture says they were both naked and unashamed. 
So let's wrap this thing up by talking for a moment about deepening and understanding intimacy. What is intimacy? Well, uh, intimacy is two people who know things about each other that no one else knows. And the closest of all relationships is between God and a person. And the second to that is between mates. Intimacy means that someone knows about you what no one else knows about you. So look up here at me. We're going to do big people church just for a second again. The sexual moment means that somebody sees everything there is about you. Now, I realize we live in a broken world and there are a lot of people go, that ain't happening in my house. I'm telling you that's God's plan for your house. They were naked. They were unashamed. The shame you feel is from a broken world that you've grown up in. And God wants to set you free. God wants to set you free. So first of all, we're seeing everything. But in that moment of sexual activity, not only do we see a physical body, but we see a response of a physical body that is most valuable when only one other person in all of life has seen it. That's intimacy. Now you want to understand why we're having so much marital difficulty in our country? Because we devalue intimacy every time we share that moment with somebody outside the bonds of marriage. Is God God? Is God good? God's not trying to mess your party up. He's trying to give you a party. And so in that moment, man, when emotions are responding and chemicals are responding and the body responds and somebody sees you like nobody else ever in the world would see you, that's God's design. For intimacy. What makes intimacy valuable is the rarity of it. I'm only going to share this with you. And if I share it uh, with everyone, it becomes commonplace. It's no longer intimacy. And here's the reality. Nine out of ten of us have already stepped outside of God's perfect plan. That's why this thing called grace and good news matters so much. That there's nothing you've done that he cannot forgive you of. And there's nothing that's ever been done to you that cannot be wiped away. Grace matters. So let's talk just for a moment about oneness. Uh, the Bible talks about this intimacy as oneness. The two shall become one. Uh, there's only one thing in all of life that you cannot do alone, right? You can breathe alone. You don't need anybody else to breathe for you. A woman doesn't have one lung and a man the other lung, and together they have to be together to breathe, right? Circulatory system, you got all you need, right? Stomach, you eat, you digest. You do all that alone. There's only one thing in all of life that you cannot do by yourself, and that's procreate. Procreate. And so God designed it that way to where we need each other, where we have to come together and be one. And it's God's plan that that oneness only be shared with the person whom you are married to, to know someone like no one else in all of life knows them. So we're going to wrap it up with this statement. Sex is not a hot moment. It's a holy moment. Um. The intimacy achieved in a sexual relationship cannot be achieved through talking, working together, or living in the same house. To become one flesh is to do something unlike anything else you ever do in all of life with anyone else in life. It is the unveiling of who you are. It is a purely naked moment, if you will. You're exposed. 
to someone else who will value and protect what you have given them. It is exercising a part of your creation. Listen to this. Because God is God and God is good. It's exercising a part of your creation planned by God. Gifted to you by God. To get the absolute most. Look at me. The absolute most out of your relationship with your mate. That is God's plan. Now there are going to be some people here. And you have spent a good portion of your life chasing a hot moment. We set ourselves up for this. Right? So what does it look like? It looks like, wow, I'm with the wrong person because this is a hot moment. What I need, somebody else. Or it looks like a new experience. Right? We got to keep trying this stuff. We got to keep doing, pushing the limits because this just isn't quite a hot enough moment for us. I got a challenge for you. Stop chasing a hot moment and start chasing a holy moment. And I'm going to make you a promise. You start chasing a holy moment with your mate, Jesus give you all the hot moments you can stand. Okay? Just making sure. Right? Is that we have to get to the place where we understand that this thing of following Jesus, it is real. And it changes every part of your life. What do you got to do? you got to be willing to change. If you sit here today, look right at me. You sit here today and go, I ain't doing nothing. You've chosen toxicity. You've chosen to keep living the same year of marriage you've lived ever since you've been married. You choose change. You choose health. You choose health. I want you to bow your heads and listen closely. Listen very closely. Of all the messages we preach, this one needs a whole lot of grace. A whole lot of grace. Um, for what? Well, there are some who would be in the building today who would just need to open their lives and receive the forgiveness and grace that Jesus makes available to you for things you've done, right? This is just being real. Man, I made decisions maybe years ago of things that I did. And, and, and pastor, I can't get them out of my head. I can't get them out of my heart. And if I was honest, it's affecting my marriage. I need freedom, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Man, would you receive the grace that Jesus wants to give you today? And maybe it wasn't something you did. Maybe it was something done to you. Here's the great thing about grace. It enables us to forgive. Once we've received that grace, we're in a, we find ourselves in a place where it's like, okay, I can let go of that. And he does want me to be free. And you can't find joy until you find freedom. I'm going to say it again. You can't find joy until you find freedom. There may be some men in here and you struggle with pornography whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Right? Let go. Men, receive what God wants to give you. And there's probably going to be some folks that need to have some tough conversation in their marriage. So, somebody may need to look at their mate and say, I need you to forgive me for what I did before I met Jesus or before I met you. Right, the bed's getting kind of crowded. All those past relationships, it's hard to get them all in that same bed. Let's get them out of our bed. Man, let's bring Jesus into our marriage and, and ask for grace and ask for forgiveness and clean this thing out. So it's just me and you and Jesus. And it gets tough owning all of this. It's all dependent on a very real relationship with Jesus and 
It's tough. I understand it is. I told her, Saf, don't expect people to run down the aisle today. It's too hard. It's too hard. Mark is here and I'm here. If you are in this room today and you go, man, I just want somebody to pray for me. You don't have to tell us what. You want us to pray for your marriage. Step out. Father, thank you so much for loving us, for giving us the opportunity to open your word and have some, Father, adult conversation about, Father, our marriages. And, Father, this world would cripple our marriages if it could. And, Father, I pray grace over the room. Father, I pray freedom over this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.